and Phil and uh, the geezers from last week for bringing us just tastes of the Christmas concert this season. Uh, if you would open your Bibles to Galatians 3. Well, this morning, let me start by wishing you Merry Christmas. And, uh, and to let you know, we're continuing in part three of our series, Christmas Gifts. You know, when we receive, I don't know if you've ever received a gift that has kind of overwhelmed you, so far exceeded your expectations. You know what that gift cost the person who gave it to you. And when we receive gifts like this, we can sometimes feel like we're not worthy to receive them. When we receive gifts from God, we can focus on our sin, on our weak prayer life. We're aware how much we should know the Bible and how much we don't know the Bible. We look around a room like this, we compare ourselves with what we perceive others to be like, and it makes us seem less worthy. And the net effect is it makes God seem more distant. But there's a problem here with that way of thinking because that way of thinking starts with us. Regardless of your weaknesses, of your sins, of your Bible knowledge, the gospel starts with God. A God who sent his son to achieve victory over sin and death. And then in that victory, Jesus extends the victory to everyone who believes in him. This gift of victory is what Bill preached about when he started our series out of Hebrews 2. Christ came to deliver all those who through fear and death, Hebrews says, were subject to lifelong slavery. Christ's victory delivers us but it doesn't stop there. We learned last week through Jim that the gift of Christ's humility lifts us in his exaltation. Genuine Christ-like humility, we learned from Philippians 2, lifts others, putting them above ourselves just as Jesus, in his humility, put us above himself. And what's true of both of these gifts? Christ is in the center of it. We start with Jesus. And so today we come to the third gift in the series, the gift of adoption. And as we unwrap this gift, you may be tempted to think it's just too good to be true. This might apply to other people, but not to me. Why in the world would the living God choose to adopt me? And there we go, starting with ourselves again. We've got to catch ourselves when we do that and make sure our thoughts of salvation start with God. Because when we start our thoughts with God, we come to learn some of the richest truth and deepest privileges of being a Christian. Keller says, if we want to understand why being a Christian is a privilege, we need to appreciate divine adoption. And so that's my goal 
for this message is for us to leave here with a greater awareness and appreciation for our adoption in Jesus Christ. We're going to start in Galatians 3, verse 23, and read through 4, verse 7. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Father, would you take this text, take your inspired word, and apply it to our hearts, that our eyes would be lifted off of us, off of the circumstances that surround us, and they'd be placed firmly and permanently on you, that we would live in the goodness of this incredible gift you've purchased and given us. Lord, help us to do that in the power and name of Jesus. Amen. All right, there are places in the Bible where male language is used, even when it includes women. We see terms like mankind, particularly in the New Testament, we see terms like brother, and here, we see the word sons used throughout the passage that was read. There are also times when female language is used, even when including men. Perhaps most famously is the phrase, the bride of Christ. Is this just one of those times? It is, but it's more than just that. The term son used throughout this passage must be used if Paul's analogy is going to make any sense. Here's he's, he is addressing the issue of our inheritance, and we're going to get more into the inheritance later in the sermon. Only a son in his context could be the heir. 
And so in chapter 3, verse 26, when he says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, he's saying that all men and women who are in Christ are sons and therefore qualify to be heirs. It's one of the wonderful reasons he goes on to say, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You see, when it comes to our sonship, when it comes to our inheritance, these distinctions from Galatians 3, verse 28, they have no bearing. Regardless of ethnicity, regardless of status, regardless of gender, we have all in Christ been adopted. Our inheritance is the same no matter where we fall on those distinctions. And there was nothing inherently adoptable about you. I hope that doesn't offend you. There's nothing about you where God said, oh, I want that one because of those great qualities they possess. Ephesians 2 tells us what our state was. We were dead in our trespasses, but God made us alive together with Christ. Do you see what, what, what Paul just did? In our adoption, Jesus is central. And then toward the end of the passage that I read, we come to the Christmas event. Look at verses 4 and 5 in uh, chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We're going to pick those two verses apart here. First phrase, the fullness of time. It can simply mean when God said the time was right. And if you know the history that surrounded the timing of Christ's coming, you can see many reasons historically that the timing would have been right. The Greeks had already brought a universal language to the known world so that whenever the gospel got shared, it could be shared throughout the known world. Romans had brought a road system throughout the known world, making travel easier from city to city, from country to country, so that the gospel could be spread quickly. Crucifixion at this time was now practiced, which would allow the, the prophecy of how the Messiah would be killed to be fulfilled. These are just some of the reasons that it's just not hard to see God orchestrating history for the fullness of time. It then says, God sent forth his son. Jesus did not begin his existence in Mary's womb. He existed in heaven with the Father for all time. The fact that he was sent means he came from somewhere. And it speaks to the eternity of Christ, the, the fact that Christ always has been, the fact that he is God. And yet, it says next, born of woman, demonstrating his full humanity. Next, 
It says, born under law, proving him to be Jewish. And in all of these ways, qualifying him to be the Messiah, come to save lost sinners. It's incredible. Just scan over that verse. How much doctrine Paul squeezes into half a sentence. But why did Jesus come? What was the purpose behind Christmas? Verse 5 tells us, it says, to redeem. And we know that. That was his victory. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 5 continues. Look at the rest of it. It says, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The end goal is not just to get us saved, is not just to buy us out of our sin. The end goal is to establish a new relationship with all who Christ purchases. The end goal is not just to make us redeemed, but to make us children. That takes me to the first point we're going to cover today. Our adoption transfers us from law to liberty. And this comes directly out of Paul's analogy in the passage. God's people were under the law. We just saw that in verse 5. They did not yet have access to their inheritance as sons. God's people, Paul tells us in verses 1 and 2, were like the child who actually owns everything but is under guardian, not yet realizing the inheritance that awaits them. However, when the gift of Christ's humility led him first to the manger and then to the cross, he won the victory there on the cross that was needed to open the doorway of redemption for all of us. What more could we possibly hope for? What more could we possibly hope for than the forgiveness of our sins? I want to call you hope for more because he gives more. He gives us even more than that. You see, redemption buys us out of debt. The massive debt that we owed to God because of our sinful nature and our acts of sin, that debt is paid for by the blood of Jesus. It makes us debt free. But our redemption doesn't make us sons. Only adoption does that. Redemption buys us out of debt. Adoption then takes that person and makes them a child of God. Packer says justification is the basic blessing. It's incredible to call justification basic. But justification is the basic blessing on which adoption is founded. Adoption is the crowning blessing to which justification clears the way. Our adoption is tied to our redemption to be sure, but it's distinct. It's blessing upon blessing. Or in the context of this series, it's gift upon gift. 
in our salvation, we're redeemed by the blood of Christ and then adopted into his family. And from that time on, your status changes from child of wrath to child of God. Dwell on that for a minute. we got to pause. Through our adoption, which is a gift given to us, we are no longer children of wrath with no hope, but we're transferred into being a child of God with a guaranteed inheritance. Praise God for such gifts. So in light of that, let me just ask the question that Galatians really begs. What is our relationship to the law then? And this is the whole point of the book of Galatians. Paul's trying to teach the church in Galatia how to relate to the law and how to relate to Jesus. The law continues to be good and true. It remains the will of the Father, but not as a lording guardian. Through our adoption, we have the spirit within us that calls out to God as Father. And we are now, as children of God, eager to do all he commands in the law. Our liberty that we're transferred into is not manifest in doing away with the law. It's not like you've been freed out of enemies' hands in warfare and you run for safety from the enemy and you never look back. No, we are freed from the guardian of the law. So now with a heart of flesh and a new spirit within us, we actually love and we have power to live the law. Our adoption, praise God, transfers us from law to liberty. Second, our adoption transfers us from impoverishment to inheritance. Before we knew Christ, we were all impoverished. And I can say that without knowing your financial state personally. Earthly wealth cannot change the impoverishment of a person's soul. However, God can. And when we are adopted into God's family and we're made sons of the Most High God, we are given an inheritance stored up for us in glory that no power on earth can take away from us. No power on earth can tarnish. We're brought into the king's household. And as we're reminded in 329 and in 4.7, we are heirs through God, according to promise. But what is this inheritance that we get? What's waiting for us that we're going to receive? First, friends, we inherit the fulfillment of all God's promises. They are all fulfilled and waiting for us. We inherit the fullness of God's presence. We inherit eternal life as it was meant to be lived. But above all else, above all of the benefits that come to us in this inheritance, we inherit God himself. 
Once your mind and your imagination can get around that concept that all that we inherit through Christ, nothing this world has to offer will get a grip on you. You've always got something better already in in the treasure chest. I don't need that. I've got this. I don't need what the world's promising me. I've got that. Once we get our head around it and our hearts around it, oh, the devil starts to get really slippery on you. He slides off. He gets frustrated as you get strengthened in Christ. So when we are transferred from impoverishment to inheritance, it alters what we live for. When we live for the riches of this world, what this world has to offer, we get this world. But in our adoption, we are given what only God can offer, and we're called then daily to live for that. And we don't have to wait till we're in glory to receive the blessing from this inheritance. We can live right now with assurance that the inheritance is ours. It's why Paul put in the book of Ephesians, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The activity and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life now is a guarantee that your full inheritance awaits for you. It's the down payment God gives us that we get to totally cash in on the full thing when we get to heaven. So this morning, do you find yourself Longing for status or approval or acceptance from this group or from that group? Do you find yourself yearning for just a little more money, just a little more significance? Maybe you're tired this morning of trying and trying and never getting what you're after. I've got good news. You are a child of the one true king. You've already been approved in Christ. You've already, sitting here today, you've been accepted fully in Christ. You've been adopted fully in Christ. You've been transferred out of your poverty And you've received the glorious gift of adoption, which comes with an immeasurable inheritance. Isaac Watts says, high is the rank we now possess. We now possess. But higher we shall rise. Though what we shall hereafter be is hid from mortal eyes. That means our inheritance in Christ is just too great. It's too glorious for us to comprehend fully. What a privilege. Folks, don't take this for granted. Don't let this roll in one ear and out the other. Hold on to this. Cherish this. What a privilege to even know the height of the rank we now possess, let alone what awaits us in glory.
And that takes me to the third point out of this passage. Our adoption transfers us from fear to family. The son language, which we've talked about, does more than just position us to be heirs. We now belong to the family of God. And as verse 6 shows us, we can now cry out to God as our Abba Father. When we were children of wrath, we had every reason to be riddled and paralyzed in fear. We were just too ignorant to know it. But we had every reason to be afraid. As a child of the living God, we have no cause for fear. None. Romans 8 tells us, we, sorry, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now I know for some of you, your home of origin may really unhelpfully blend family and fear. Perhaps your home was marked by fear or marked by anger. Maybe you were rejected by your family or worse. If that's true, don't take this adoption and push it away. Don't take this idea of father, God as father, which can be so hard for people in this situation. Don't, don't allow yourself to push it away. It's all the more reason to know the genuine heart of your heavenly father. Psalm 103 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward all who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Friends, God is everything the role of father should be, and nothing the role of father ought not be. And for those of you who struggle with this doctrine, I want to say that again. I'm going to say it slowly. God is everything the role of father should be, and nothing the role of father ought not be. But there's more. There's more. The more we dig into adoption, the more we realize there's more to dig into it. When we are transferred from fear to family, we get more than a heavenly father. We get brothers and sisters. And this is true around the world. When we see God's work in other nations, we have more in common with those people that we've never met 
than we have with any of our unbelieving friends and family. We share the same Savior. We share the same destination. We, we love the same God. We live under the same word. We're in the same family and will be forever. And that's with a stranger in Christ. Here, in a local context, is a particular expression of this family we've been adopted into. Consider the people that are just in this room. Think about those you know and love that are going to be coming to the next service. Think about those that are on the live stream here watching and listening to this message. This is your family. They're your siblings through adoption. You share the same father. And because we are family, we stand up for our brothers and sisters. We don't allow division to remain between siblings. We work together toward unity as a family. We take responsibility when we've wronged our family, and we forgive when our family has wronged us. We're no longer alone. We've been added to a family, and we need one another. Let me ask you, do any of your family relationships need mending? This Christmas, do you have a brother or sister in need you could stand with? Don't stay on the fringes of this family, folks. Go all in. Step into the relationships God has called you to. Our love for one another, we're told by the word, is one of the ways the world knows we belong to God. We've been transferred from fear to family. Let's step into the goodness of that together. And so let me ask you this. Are you discouraged at your performance before God? Do you feel like you just can't measure up? Do you envision God to be shaking his head at you with disappointment or in disapproval? Friend, you are a child of God. You are victorious in Christ. You've been exalted in his eyes. You've been fully adopted, made a permanent part of the family and a permanent object of his steadfast love. Ferguson says, our, our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. Oh, let's allow our adoption in Christ to lift our hopes this Christmas season. Contained in the gift package of adoption is liberty is an inheritance, is a spiritual family with the Most High God as our Father. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Merry Christmas.